Good evening, church, and shalom. Yeah, it's good to see so many of you here today. Uh, this evening, uh, we will be covering chapter 9 of the book of Judges, which provides us actually a very sobering message, especially th those that are ultra-competitive and ultra-ambitious uh, in our midst. Yeah? So I've entitled our, uh, this my message, Beware of Selfish Ambition. What is selfish ambition? It is when we are self-seeking, when we are only concerned for our own interests at the expense of everyone else, and when we are only concerned with our personal gain and profit. Shall we just begin with a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, I give thanks for this privilege uh, in even sharing your word, Lord. I just pray you help me to commu communicate it clearly and succinctly so that the hearts of your people may receive, Lord. I give thanks and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are 12 judges in the book of Judges and uh, a few of them are just mentioned with two or three verses. But here we have, in chapter, 50, or in chapter 9, there are 57 verses dedicated solely to just one person, Abimelech, who is the son of Gideon with his concubine from Shechem. Only his father Gideon and another judge, Samson, has more written about them than him. Abimelech, is not an ordained judge. He is not a leader appointed by God. Why is so much prominence given to just one person? What does the Bible want us to learn from this particular chapter? Because this chapter is so long, with 57 verses, I have summarized the whole chapter into just one truth. This truth is taken from scripture, and shall we read it all together? It says this, one, two, three. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. If you don't remember anything else this evening, please remember this truth from scripture. Man's way, our own way, will always seems right at the beginning, but in the end, it will lead to death. The Hebrew word for death is mawet, which not only means physical death, but it also means total ruin and destruction in other areas of our life. And so, chapter nine opens like a Hollywood screenplay that demonstrated the pitfalls of man's way and his ambition. Through Abimelech, we discover that a person can be so obsessed with power and position that he's prepared to do anything to satisfy this carnal desire. And this desire lurks 
in all of us. Amazingly, the Bible records numerous instances where this desire rear its ugly head. If I ask you, can you think of any situations in the Bible where this selfish ambition has service? What are some of the instances that you can think of? Yeah, it's actually cover to cover. And it begins in the very beginning at Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, where Adam and Eve listened to the devil and wanted to be like God. Then you have King Saul, who because of his own insecurity, wanted to kill David to maintain his throne. Then you have Absalom, who rebelled against his own father, King David, to seize the throne. Then you have, in the New Testament, King Herod, who ordered the murder of all boys two years and under, so that he can keep his position as king. We even have Simon the sorcerer, who wanted the power of the Holy Spirit so that he can cast out demons and perform miracles. And he thought he can buy it. He thought he can just pay for it. And even at the very end of the Bible, in the third joint, this is recorded for us. Yeah? There is this church leader by the name of Diotrephes, who wanted, who loved to be the leader or the sole leader. The King James Version said he wanted to be preeminent. That means he wanted to be supreme. He wanted to be recognized. He wanted the name, the position, and the power all for himself. And so he was prepared to ignore the letters written by Apostle John and even accuse the apostles uh, of wrong deeds. And when other people disagree with him, he took matters into his own hands and kicked them out of the church. Whether it's our work, whether it's our church, whether it's our, our ministry, all of us too can have this obsession over power that we are prepared to do things that will not only cause harm to ourselves, but also to others around us. Please don't get me wrong. There is nothing wrong with ambition or desire. But if it's not of God, if it is not led by the Holy Spirit, if it is not inspired by Jesus to bless others, then we ought to be extremely careful. <coughs> so how do we know? So how do we know that our ambitions are on very dangerous ground? So I want to cover our message in three areas. It is the traits, the tragedies, 
and the teachings. When we are on dangerous ground, we will begin to exhibit toxic character traits. Among them will be self-promotion. We will be manipulative and we will be divisive. This is taken from, from verse 2, where Abimelech asked the residents of Shechem, which is better for you, to be ruled by 70 or to be ruled by one? That one being him, he's promoting himself. But that's not a true statement. Even if it is, it will be one out of the 70, not all of the 70. He was manipulating. He also says, remember, I'm your flesh and blood. What is he doing? He is using his bloodline to divide the people by exploiting their fear of their race. Do we find it in some of our own politicians? Then, you were bright and you were by loyalties of others. That's what he did. He has no problem with taking money offered to a pagan god and use it to achieve his own purpose. He did not grow his own following. He just buys them, pays them money, like giving you $50 for a vote. <laughs> yep, and so all of his people are mercenaries. He is insecure. He is wicked. He is, he is cruel because of his own insecurity. He participated you know, in a slaughter fest of all his family members. What wickedness and cruelty. He was opportunistic and he carries an entitlement spirit. He feels entitled. He's the son of Gideon. He feels he has a right to take over from his father. Even his name, Abimelech, means my father is king. I wonder why Gideon named his son, my father is king. Huh? <laughs> yeah, isn't it? So he feels entitled, and so he schemed to have the crown placed on his head. He's also not fruitful, but he's boastful, threatening, and vengeful. The youngest son of Gideon, Jotham, escaped the slaughter of his, of his brothers. And on the day that Abimelech was to be crowned king, he went up to Mount Gerizim. I think all of us know what Mount Gerizim stands for from Deuteronomy. It's a place where we pronounce blessings upon the Israelites, or where God pronounced blessing. But here we have the irony, the irony of it. Here we have Jotham coming onto Mount Gerizim, and instead of pronouncing blessing, he pronounces a curse on all these people. Actually, he means to say, look at this mountain. This is your blessings. But instead of these blessings, you will now have this curse. And this curse is contained in the, in the parable 
that he spoke out. The very first parable in the Bible. From verse 8 to 15, it talks about three plants whom the trees wanted to make kings. These are the olive, the figs, and the vines. What is common about these three plants? These plants are very fruitful plants. Their fruits are meant to bless others. They are comfortable in who they are. They are in their purpose in God's kingdom. They are comfortable with their own gift and their own calling. And they are comfortable in who God has made them to be. And they didn't want to assume anything that God has made them to be. But not so, Abimelech, which was a picture from this plant, the thorn bush. Yep. Unlike the three plants that were a blessing to others, their fruits are not to bless themselves, but to bless others. The thorn bush, what it does is that it chokes the life of all the plants that is around it by robbing it of the water that they need and use it for himself. And he also declares, here he says, you all, if you want to make me king, you come and take refuge under me. I will provide the covering for you. You say, if not, then he says, I will let fire come out of me, the thorn bush, and to consume you. Watch the statement, yeah? That's a picture of a thorn bush and the cedars of Lebanon. How does the thorn bush provide covering, protection for the cedars of Lebanon? Obviously, the, the thorn bush was very boastful. He cannot do it, you know? And he was threatening. If not, I will send out fire to consume even the cedars of Lebanon. But he's not only threatening, he's act, it actually come to pass. He was very vengeful because at the end in verse 44 and 45, we know the people of Shechem, a thousand of them ran away from, from him and hid in one of the tower. What did Abimelech do? Surrounded it, put wood around it, and set the whole tower on fire, killing 1,000 people including women. That's how vengeful it is. And lastly, he is full of pride. You know, in his dying moments, he was more concerned about how his obituary were read instead of seeking God for forgiveness. He doesn't want to be remembered that he was killed by a woman. He wants to be remembered as a good king. But that was never the case. It was all his pride. You know, a very famous poet and playwright by the name of T.S. Eliot, an American playwright and poet, has this to say about the conditions of the world. Most of the trouble in the world are caused by people wanting to be important. 
that was his character traits. But there are also lifestyle traits that will be apparent in someone who is selfishly ambitious. It is that God and God's purpose and motives will not be in what you do. In all the 57 verses in chapter 9, very little of God was mentioned in Abimelech's pursuit of kingship. The only time that God was mentioned was uh, in his judgment against Abimelech. And so, you can see it in this verse. What did he do? Yeah, he has no qualms about receiving money from uh, uh, money given to a pagan god to further his own purpose. He has no problem with taking money from illegitimate sources so that he can achieve his aim. While everything that he did, there was no God of it in it. When we don't have God in our purpose and in what we are doing, our selfish ambition will contaminate our motives and we will become preoccupied with our own prominence because that becomes important for us. And so, it's very important to re remember this. If God is not in it, he will not bless it. Everything that we do, if God is not in it, he will not bless it. That's why Jesus himself instructs us, first, seek ye the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of this will be added unto you. Okay? When God is not in what we do, when it's all about I, me, and myself, we will begin to spiral and we fall into a sinful pattern to obtain it. Because of Abimelech's uh, obsession for power and position, he was prepared to do anything to get it, even murder of the most heinous kind. And so, on one stone, he executed 69 of his own uh, brothers. And so, remember this. If God is not in it, or rather, if God is in what we do, we don't have to sin to get it. If God is in it, we don't, we don't have to pull strings to get it. We don't have to bribe. We don't have to deceive. We don't have to manipulate. If it is of God, God will open doors that no man can shut. And the best example of this will be David. David was anointed king as a teenager. And along, his, uh, along the way, there were many instances where he could have seized the throne earlier. Even when King Saul wanted to kill him and his people was encouraging him to kill King Saul when the opportunity presented itself, King David says, no. 
He said, say, if it is of God, I don't have to kill to get it. If it is of God, I don't have to sin to get it. If it is of God, I don't have to go out of God's nature and character to get it. If it is of God, God, in his time, will make a way for me to get it. And that's what happened to King David. But what about us? Do we compromise? Do we take shortcuts? Or are we inclined into lawless act? When God closes a way, do we then look for another way, probably a more worldly way? Because that's exactly what Abimelech did. Abimelech had all his plan planned out for himself, by himself, with his own strength and with his own abilities. And so during the three years of the reign of Abimelech, he did not bless God. He did not bless God in what he does. Yet he only seek after his own interests. And because of that, tragedies upon tragedies came upon his life. The first tragedy uh, that came upon him is that in our selfish ambition, he invited betrayer, not from his enemies, but those people that are close, supposedly close to him. And that's what happened to Abimelech. He has hardly warmed his throne when another guy by the name of Gaal came into Shechem. And obviously, this guy has no problem winning the hearts of the people because it says that he won the confidence of the people and that the people then begin even to curse Abimelech. Question, how did this guy actually do it? You know? He did it the same way that Abimelech did. Well, Abimelech used the bloodline on his mother's side to get him crowned. Gaal used the bloodline of Abimelech's father's side to disqualify him. Why do you want to serve half a Shechemite? Why would you even want to serve Abimelech? Because he's not you. The use of race, again. And so what's the lesson here for all of us? It's a very important lesson. Whoever show no fear in sinning with you will show no fear in sinning against you. Whoever who does not hesitate in doing wrong with you will not hesitate in doing wrong against you. Whoever who is happy to gossip with you will be happy to gossip against you. Whoever has no hesitant, hesitation to do wrong with you will do wrong against you. And so, 
The second tragedy of selfish ambition is that our own, our own gain will bring pain to others. At the root of every evil is self-centeredness. Well, God wants us to center our lives upon him. Selfish ambition will take out our eyes, put our focus back onto ourselves. Yeah? And that's what, why scripture warns us of this. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. In comparison with Abimelech's father, Gideon's positive leadership, Abimelech was only concerned for his own gain. And in the process, he brought death and destruction to his own brothers and to the whole city of Shechem. He uses force. He threatens. He kills those who stood in his way. He led in a way that his very own subjects looks to replace him at the face, first instance. The genesis of all this problem is one man's selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is a disastrous trait in God's eyes. But to the world, it's actually a good trait to have because it says it will help propel you forward in life. But look at the damages it inflicted. Abimelech committed every evil there is to maintain his power and brought misery to all the people around him. It may seem obvious, but it still needs to be said. Thinking and caring only for your own personal interest is a recipe for disaster. It is the source of much grief and sorrow. And so, the third uh, tragedy of selfish ambition, sorry, is that we will reap what we sow. Abimelech <coughs> killed 70 of his, or rather 69 of his own brothers on a single stone. And in poetic justice, God in the life of Abimelech through just one stone. Yeah? And we were reaped what we sow. And so, as is given in Galatians, yeah, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. We reap what we sow. The person who sow to his sinful nature will by that nature reap eternal death. 
the person who sold to the spirit will by that spirit reap eternal life. And so, with Abimelech, his injury, firstly, the Bible records for us that a stone fell upon Abimelech's head and crushed his skull, the crown of his head. Why is that important? Because that was the head that wore a crown, that the crown that belongs to God does not belong to Abimelech. And so God not only crushed the crown of his head, God also crushed the crown on his head. His injury was also fatal. Here was a man whose life can be measured in minutes. Instead of repenting, of seeking mercies from the one whom he is about to give an account, he was more concerned with his own obituary. He was concerned that he would not be remembered that a woman killed him. He was concerned with his own reputation. Please don't get me wrong. All of us need to guard our reputation. But the time to do it is now, not on our dying bed where the life is being drained out of us. There will be no time left then, but we need to do it now. Every day, God gives us the opportunity to decide how we want our legacy to be passed down through the life we lead and the choices we make. But the time to do it actually is now. And so, let's remember this exaltation from Scripture who tells us this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than ourselves. And so, I want to end with two teachings from this chapter. The first is that God is in control and his plans will prevail. The last two chapters of, uh, of uh, chapter 9 is perhaps the most important because it provides for us the moral of the story. It tells us why events that are so dark, so sinful, so cruel are recorded in the Bible for us. The Bible is not airy, fairy, offensiveful. It records real events in real life. It tells us of the world that we are living in. It is dark, it is sinful, it is cruel. But in the midst of all this, 
God reminds us that He is in control, that He is sovereign, and so He will, and He repaid Abimelech. He repaid the residents of Shechem. He repaid all the sins of the people, and He still judges sin today. And so, the story of Abimelech tells us the lesson for all of us is this. No matter how dark the situation looks, no matter how bleak the situation are, no matter how hopeless our situation is, Scripture reminds us God is still in control and He is still on the throne. And that's the assurance for each and every one of us. No matter what has happened, no matter what is happening, no matter how much the enemies of God seem to be winning, the end of this story of Abimelech here the end of our own story and the end story of all human history is that God is in control. God will have His way and God's justice will prevail. And so, we thank God that all of us don't have to rely just on human leaders itself. Good as they may be, they will fail us. Maybe not as bad as Abimelech failed the residents of Sikkim, but they will still fail us. The best of men is still men at best. We therefore give thanks to God that we can rely not only on our human leaders, but we can rely on the one and only perfect and holy Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, who will lead us as prophet, priest, and king, and who will neither leave us nor forsake us. Selfish ambition is always crouching at our door and it will surface sometimes even at the most holy of moments like it did to the apostles at the Last Supper. It was the night of Passover Jesus had just had the last Passover meal with his disciples before going to his death, the death that is to be an atonement for the sin of the world. 
it was a very solemn moment. It was the most holy of moment. Jesus have just instituted the Holy Communion, the new covenant in His blood. But what was on the mind of the disciples, each and every one of them, was preoccupied with their own place of importance. That's what Apostle Liu recorded this for us. A dispute arose among them to which was to be considered the greatest. It was the worst of time for any of them to exert their own greatness. But it is also a moment that shows the blinding power of selfish ambition and pride. Many of us are also caught up in such moments. When we look at ourselves and to each other, we begin to compare and then compete. And, and we are led into temptation and all manner of evil. And so how do we ensure that we do not allow selfish ambition to overtake us? We follow what Jesus did. And that's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He did not rebuke them. He did not condemn them for who, for what they did, but He drew their attention back to Himself and what He did. We are all called to serve others. We are it is never about position, power, or authority. We are never called to lord over others. We are called to serve. We are called to be servants. Many of us like to be called servants. But the moment we are treated as one, all hell breaks loose. And so, how then do we walk away from selfish ambition? We turn our eyes away from ourselves and unto God because God has designed us to find fulfillment in Jesus. And so when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, we soon realize that everything that we have comes from Him anyway and that everything that we have we can use it to bring glory to God and not to ourselves and so as I close how do we go forward I want to leave you with these two scriptures yeah, that will help us to move forward in our lives and it is this shall we read it all together one, two, three. Therefore, we also have as our mission, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. And whatever you do, 
do it heartily as to the Lord and not man or ourselves. Everything that we do, we give glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Abba Father, we give thanks, Lord, for your message that have gone forth today. We pray that you help us to trust you with all our hearts and not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways, may we acknowledge you so that you will direct our path. Help us not to be wise in our own eyes, but to fear you and depart from evil. Then, Lord, you promise that you will add help to our flesh, strength to our bones, success and significance in all that we do. We give thanks and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.